our merger policy enabling this in the last 10 years, 500,000 global mergers. I mean, this is, you feel the earth shake under your feet, or we should, that how radical this was to restructure our economy. We're talking about politics as if it's happening on the political page, but when Dow marries DuPont, Shakespeare would be more focused on that than what's happening in politics, because that's the big restructuring of politics. When Bayer and Monsanto merge, that is one of the most important grotesque marriages in our political, uh, in our global political system. And this happens in the sort of business pages where people feel too intimidated to get involved with. Welcome to The Real Organic Podcast. I'm Lindley Dixon, co-director of The Real Organic Project. We're a grassroots, farmer-led movement with an add-on organic food label to distinguish organic crops grown in healthy soils and organic livestock raised on well-managed pasture. You just heard from Zephyr Teachout, an attorney, professor of law at Fordham University, and the author of Break Em Up, Recovering Our Freedom from Big Ag, Big Tech, and Big Money. Zephyr spoke at our recent Saving Real Organic conference at Churchtown Dairy last October, and will be a featured speaker in our 2024 symposium about standing up to the consolidation in the American food system. Well, let's start talking amongst each other. How many of you uh, went to our virtual symposium on milk, on dairy? All right, we've got a couple. If we have the recordings, go back and watch it. Uh, this story relates to my ne next speaker, Zephyr Teachout, who wrote an incredible book called Break Em Up. Um, but I had someone who I brought in, it was a family friend, and I said, just come see what we're doing. And they watched this two-hour symposium on uh, the milk crisis in organic dairy. And they heard the story that I presented this morning in the Washington Post, and they heard all these farmers talking about um, the consolidation and the lowering price point. And exasperated at the end of the whole thing, my friend said, I still have no idea which kind of organic milk to buy. And I said, that's the point. You, we didn't tell you the answer because that milk isn't on the shelf. The kind of milk that we want you to drink and that you nutritionally want to find after getting this education is not on the store shelves. It is so hard to find. And the answer for her, the answer that she wanted is what Zephyr is gonna talk about today. We really need full transparency in the supply chain and we need to break up these um, kind of massive um, control. If we break them up, uh, we'll, we'll be able to kind of get our democracy back. And so um, we're, I, I imagine Zephyr sitting in her seat like, just like, I have the answer, screaming. <laughs> so uh, this is not gonna be an easy solution, but it, if we don't, break them up, we're not gonna fix this. So Zephyr Teachout. Hey, hey, oh yeah, I don't need that. <laughs> Hi, good afternoon. I am not Shelly Pingree. But I just gotta tell you, just, just the, the short version of her talk is uh, the lobbying is totally out of control. 
uh, Dow, DuPont, Big Ag are swamping Washington. It's terrible. Okay, that's the mini version, right? Okay, so now, <laughs> I, I don't know what force quite brought me here, but this is an extraordinary community. And the smell of, what do you call it? Hope! <laughs> the smell of hope with the smell of sh combined <laughs> uh, gives a window to a real possible future that I'm just so blessed, blessed to be here. And there's a special treat, which is Dave and I actually were summer crew at the same farm him in 80, myself in 89, 90, 91, with Jake and Liz Guest, Kildeer Farm. So you know, those seeds you plant, they did grow. <laughs> All right, I wanna talk about the people who aren't here. So looking out at this country, let's just take chicken farming. 25,000 family farms, chicken farms around the country. 95% of them are contract growers. A lot of you know how contract growing works, but I'm gonna walk you through it. So nobody goes into farming for the money. We know that, right? Um, so you're a farmer and you look independent. You're an independent business. You have the freedom to take out a million dollar loan for your house. But you gotta get your chickens to market. And Tyson, Pilgrims, and Purdue, looking at the mafia model, carve up the regions of the country, and they say, we are happy to take your chickens to market. It's just that you gotta buy our eggs. You gotta buy our feed. You gotta use our lighting system. You gotta use our heating contractors. You gotta use our timing. And you have to sign arbitration contracts that if you have a lawsuit with us, no, none of our conflict will ever come into the light of day. And by the way, we're gonna pay you a different amount every month. And you are forbidden from talking to any other farmer about what you are paid and the conditions under which you are paid. Exactly. So these chicken farmers who have come in because they love the animals and love the land, maybe because their family was in it, maybe because they always dreamed of being part of building something, of like Jake driving his UPS truck in the winter and reading the magazines about the newest technology on growing, tilling at night, wanted to be there to, be le to, to learn, to develop, to grow. They are totally controlled and totally forbidden from doing any of those things. And if they violate that contract, death sentence. They can no longer get their chickens to market and therefore they don't exist anymore as farmers. They were free, of course, to take out that million dollar loan for the chicken house. So they're still stuck with that million dollar debt. And so they are going to follow every single rule that Tyson gives them. And they're in this state, which I think characterizes our country of rational paranoia. 
So, okay, so this, it seems like my, my, uh, you know, my eggs weren't as good this, this time. Is it because of something I did? They're in a supplicant and dependent position. And so in 2010, when Vilsack toured the country to find out about what is happening with this tournament system, farmers packed the rooms to tell their stories, but they were terrified. And a lot of journalists, including a young journalist named Lena Khan, talked to those farmers who wouldn't speak up because they would hear stories. I spoke up at this meeting in Georgia and suddenly I lost my contract. So the farmers are not only not free to be farmers, free to connect to the land, free to experiment and grow, but their beaks were cauterized by the contract growing system. So there's a name for this, it's called chickenization. And the beef industry, looking at how Tyson and Purdue did it, decided to chickenize the beef industry. So you have the same centralized distributors and the pork industry decided to chickenize the pork industry. And Monsanto is chickenizing and ADM is chickenizing and Cargill is chickenizing. And part of the chickenization is, yeah, you, you, we'll, get, we'll, take your, we'll take your corn to market. We'll finance your tr uh, tractor, but as a condition, you can't fix your tractor. Oh, and everything you are learning is no longer yours. We are going to put spies in every corner of your house. We are going to observe the weather on your farm and take that weather for ourselves and make money off of that weather. So this is what I'm talking about, John Deere's equipment surveying the, the sort of the condition of surveillance. But this is not just farming. You know what else is chickenized? CVS. You know what else is chickenized? The Amazon relationship to Amazon sellers. Amazon sellers get, I want to get my stuff to market. I just invented a new Frisbee. Everybody's going to love it. All I need to do is sign this contract with Amazon that everything is going to go to arbitration, no class actions, nothing will ever see the light of day. They get deep transparency into my business, learn from my business, and maybe they'll even imitate it and make a model themselves or they compete against me. They're going to figure out exactly how little money I can be paid and still be on their platform, which is exactly what they're doing with the chicken industry. You know what else is chickenization is the Google model or the Facebook model. Nick, Nicholas Thompson of Wired said, we are all serfs on Facebook's farm. The journalists know, okay, I can get disappeared. If I happen, you know, Zuckerberg can turn the switch turn the switch generally. Maybe I just want to do an experiment this week and have more video. Maybe this week I want to do something else. The entire business model is dependent and all the journalists know that the system through which they want to get their product to market through the choke point of Amazon and YouTube and they have to be taxed and regulated by Amazon. This is a form of government. The chickenization is a form of government. So how do we get here? 
Because as you see, this is not just an assault on our land. It is that, these are all tied together. It is an assault on our freedom. So, in the 1850s, 1860s, and 1870s, no, 1850s and 1860s, you know, and 1870s and into, the, into Reconstruction, there was a deep understanding that centralized corporate fat power was a form of tyranny and must be stopped. And there is a deep tie between slavery and concentration. And so when Charles Sumner, who you may know as an abolitionist, being beaten on the hall of the Senate, was also an anti-monopolist, saying and nothing against people in New Jersey here, but that taking the train to New Jersey was like riding through the Valley of Humiliation because the railroads would look at you and say, I am your God and uh, I, am your, I am the God and king of you. That this is a form of government, monopoly government. And in reconstruction, this sort of brief period in American history where there was a possibility of not just abolition, but actual political equality, one of the key ways in which the old slave-holding system reasserted power was through monopolies and monoculture. The, and if you haven't read uh, Du Bois on Reconstruction, I encourage it. It was long winter nights. But the local store provided the credit. And they would only provide credit to former slaves if they agreed to, uh, to grow only cotton, not the crops they needed to be able to actually sustain themselves, build the profits, and move out. They couldn't go anywhere else for credit. Monopoly is a form of government. And monopoly, when the Grangers said down with monopoly, they weren't saying, let's go run to an economist, God, you know. It, and uh, find out exactly whether this fits a technical term of monopoly. Monopoly is a political word, like corruption. Monopoly is a word of the people. Monopoly is a word to say that a private institution has too much power and it is illegitimate. And we're gonna reclaim that anti-monopoly language. You don't need to just be one to be a monopoly. It's the power to control outside your sphere. So what happened? So many different moments in American history, so many different successes, so many different failures, but when farmers, workers, and small business owners came together, we had moments of great legislative awakening enforcement. You have, whether it's the Packer and Stockyards Act or Robinson-Patman, which gives producers power over the distributors, or the Sherman Act, and then finally in the New Deal, a real vision. First part of the New Deal, there was kind of a top-down vision. Second part, an understanding that we can't have a sustainable, thriving democracy if the princes of Wall Street are in charge. So what happens in 1980, um, and imperfectly, those laws 
worked to some degree in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And in 1980, we have one of the most radical revolutions, a retaking of our democracy through the Chicago Boys takeover. So the Chicago Boys, this is Bork, this is Reagan, this is Bill Baxter, who in the announcement in the New York Times of him coming on to be the head of the DOJ said his top priorities are rolling back uh, affirmative action and antitrust. Race and power have always been connected in this country. And so when Baxter and Reagan's uh, new administration came in, they said, you know all those antitrust laws? Those are not about freedom. We represent freedom, and instead, those antitrust laws are about consumer welfare. I was talking to Abby last night about um, language. Um, I love having children shouting in the background. <laughs> I was talking to Abby last night about language and um, you know the, the radicalization of what they did in the 80s. They told us it was freedom, but it is actually a system of control. What Reagan brought in is a system of top-down control, the chickenization model for our entire economy. And they did so by saying, okay, let's, I'll just use one example, merger law. When you analyze a merger, what should you do? After 1980, until today, mergers have been analyzed by seeing whether or not the merger would effectively increase consumer prices. That's the whole question, right? If there's not evidence that it's gonna increase consumer prices, the merger goes through. It's just one part of it, but I'm gonna talk about this part because it led to this total restructuring of our society. What Driscoll was able to do. Google bought 240 companies in a 14 year period, one after another, all using the consumer welfare model, the idea that we can't prove that prices are gonna increase. That, that chickenization model, that doesn't happen. Tyson can't do that if Tyson doesn't also own the grain, if Tyson doesn't own up and down the supply chain and doesn't own horizontally. Our merger policy enabling this, in the last 10 years, 500,000 global mergers. I mean, this is, you feel the earth shake under your feet, or we should, that how radical this was to restructure our economy. We're talking about politics as if it's happening on the political page, but when Dow marries DuPont, Shakespeare would be more focused on that than what's happening in politics, because that's the big restructuring of politics. When Bayer and Monsanto merge, that is one of the most important grotesque marriages in our political, uh, in our global political system. And this happens in the sort of business pages where people feel too intimidated to get involved with. So this radical total revolution has then led to a system of radical disempowerment. And to be here today to see what the alternative could look like, can look like, it's so exciting because it is so human and complex and complete. It is not monoculture top down. It is a vision of freedom. And I, I mean, I'm blown away with what you've been able to accomplish in the last five years. Um, but we've got a long way to go. 
Some of the people who've been chickenized are Uber drivers. Gig workers who are told that they are free to buy their own car. Lucky them. But then do not understand why they are paid. The pay is no longer connected to the cost of the ride. It is simply Uber and the other um, gig work companies trying to identify exactly how little they can pay people while still keeping them working. Radical, extraordinary surveillance extraction. So the people in this room making common cause with those drivers who also want to be free, that's gonna be how we get out of this. Making common cause with those pharmacists or former pharmacists who know that if you can actually be connected to your community, you can actually provide the needs of that community. One of the great costs of the last 45 years has been the total ripping apart of community. And it's a lot easier to rip something apart. I have a four and almost five-year-old. It's a lot easier to rip something apart than to put it together. And we don't want to put it back together. We don't want to just recreate. This is not a, we actually have to do something much bigger. Because the nature of AI and the uh, uh, algorithmic capacity allows for a discrimination nation on a level that we have never before seen. We're moving into that now. The ability to treat you differently. Well, you might actually stay in this crappy job longer because I know you are $100,000 in debt because of the data that I have collected on you. That ability to individually exploit each person requires that we build an anti-monopoly movement, bringing together workers, small businesses, um, and, uh, and farmers at the heart, <laughs> that, like one we have never seen before. Not just to reclaim our freedom, but to create it. So I have a little hope now. I, you know, it's tough times to have hope. But I have hope because 10 years ago, I was sitting in a room with Lena Khan, who wasn't even a lawyer, and Barry Lynn, who wrote a, a, a book that I'd recommend on uh, supply chains. And we're like putting on a chart, like who can we work with? And now she's the head of the Federal Trade Commission and has just put out new merger guidelines that jettison the consumer welfare standard. We are citizens, again, not just consumers. I have hope because I know Dow spends, you know, $60 million trying to convince people that PFAS are actually safe. Um, but, you know, Google spent more and they're, they're being sued right now in court and they're ending up looking like total idiots. Because along with arrogance, well, along with power comes extraordinary arrogance. So it is really hard. But I do believe that there are, if we can find those connections, there are opportunities to build not just in your local communities what you are doing. And I thank you for that the sense of possibility 
is one of the things that has been robbed from us, the sense of a future. Um, but not just to do that, but to actually build the systems that allow this to be 10,000 times this. Um, so look forward to working with you going forward. And to a true freedom based on real stories instead of economic simulations governing our economy, we can actually have humans connected to the ground uh, running, uh, running this country. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to The Real Organic Podcast. Our movement is growing because you're subscribing and sharing these podcasts with your friends. And the growth of this movement makes a big difference to our farmers. So keep it up and leave us a rating and a review as well. You can find a video version of this interview on our newly designed website, realorganicproject.org, or on our YouTube channel. Join us next week when we'll hear from the ever insightful and endlessly interesting organic pioneer and master composter, Carl Hammer of the Vermont Compost Company.